0: When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixing with gall, but when he tasted it, he could not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he wants to. For he said, I am God's son. The bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. At once, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down to save him. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. Now when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were terrified and said, truly this man was, the, was God's son. Matthew 27:33 through 51 and verse
1: 54. Hi,
0: I'm April Little and I'm Anna Dahlia.
1: And today on this episode of Reclaiming the Garden, we're having uh, one of our Bible Deck deep dives on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I was first thinking about the idea of doing Bible Deck deep dives on the Gospels, I was like, well, for every single one of them, if we were to do just like a a, a deep dive on like each like book, um, I was thinking I was like, well, the the biggest misconception to to sort of uh, to grasp with like each of these is um, the death what we were taught about the death and resurrection of Jesus um, and so I proposed you know to you Anna I was like well what if we did an episode where we were just analyzing like in each gospel story what it has to say about Jesus' death and then you know what progressive theologians have to say about it um, yeah so yeah that's what we're gonna do getting down and dirty and nerdy with scripture today with this story oh yeah Um, So before we even get into it, um, I just want to say the date of Easter is, like, the way that it's calculated, kind of witchy. Mm -hmm. Um, I learned from uh, (laughs) our friend Mary Claire slash Faith videos that Easter happens after the first full moon that is after the spring equinox. So Easter can't happen before the spring equinox and the rest depends on when there is a full moon and that is... That is literally like, which is also calculated is kind based of witchy, on the yeah. moon and like spring equinox. Anyway, I also googled and found out um, because of course, because of um, the way it's calculated, you can. I mean, I guess astronomers and whatever can just like calculate into infinity, like when Easter is going to happen. Um, and so I googled and found out that if I live to the age of one hundred, that birthday will be on Easter Sunday, April twentieth, twenty ninety eight. Oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, just a little thing to talk about, because, of course, you know, um, we're we're recording this during uh, during Holy Week and we're going to record it or post it on uh, Good Friday. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we're obviously like posting this video because Good Friday thinking about uh, Easter as well. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. this
0: should be going up on April 15th, 2022. Um, And that's so interesting. I never realized that was how the date of Easter was calculated. No, I had no, I no idea. I, just,
1: yeah, I mean, cause obviously it's like different every year. So yeah. It's yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember last year specifically, it was a couple days before I hit my two week of my second vaccine, um, oh. which is a weird way to remember. Cause it was the first outing I had been to since everything had started like first mm-hmm. time back in church in years and everything. So that's like. How I remember in some years, of course, it's in March and it's earlier in April. So this year it's falling smack dab in the middle of April.
1: Yeah. So now we're going to get into it and um, talk about what we were taught growing up about the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, which I mean, I I know, I I think for both of us, it's uh, the atonement theory known as penal substitutionary atonement theory. Jesus um, died
0: for your sins.
1: Yeah. So the way that <laughs> I was kind of given the whole talk is that like sin separates us from God like a chasm. God cannot look upon us while we are in sin because we're just so disgusting and dirty. We cannot be in relationship with God and deserve yep. punishment for sin. And so in order to cross the chasm and have relationship with God, we needed someone else to suffer the price for our sins. So Jesus came to die on the cross to do that, to die for all the world's sins and with that uh, God's punishment was placed on Jesus as he died. And so if one accepts Jesus' sacrifice and believes in him as Lord and Savior, when God looks on us, God sees the perfection of Jesus instead. And we have eternal life in heaven when we die because Jesus' death beat death when he resurrected. Mm-hmm. Um the sort of talk also is that like Jesus serves as the sacrifice that replaced the animal sacrifices that Jewish people performed in the old Testament, which acted as atoning sacrifices for sin. Though I also, I, um, in a podcast episode, I was just listening to before we started recording. Um, it's, uh, one of the latest episodes of the queer theology podcast. Um, he was like, uh, a lot of like what we were taught about, like the way that Jewish sacrifices worked is probably not, not correct. (laughs) Um, because it's from like an evangelical Christian perspective that might not actually be doing all the correct research.
0: Yeah, uh, so that's an interesting
1: thing to consider. But
0: um, yeah, like I know I that mean. I just read through like Leviticus and Numbers. I've been very slowly going through the Torah,
1: hmm. Whoa. And I never like reading through Leviticus. I mean, I'll probably do that at some
0: point. I'll be honest; just... it was a lot. <laughs> um, but there is so, yeah. and I'll I'll be quite honest and say there were a lot of rules about sacrifice that I didn't realize and very like very very specific rules and I'll be honest and say that I did um not skip but I definitely Mm -hmm. glossed over some of it because it was like oh my gosh how many rules can there be for animal sacrifice Mm -hmm. in the bible but I guess that's just to add to your point of like it's so much more complicated than kill animal on altar sprinkle blood god forgives you it was like no there are very specific ways to do every single thing depending on the sin that you or your family committed.
1: Yeah. Um, Do you have anything else to say about, like, I guess particularly what you were taught about, like, the Jesus' death, the cross, everything like
0: that? I was honestly taught the exact same thing Mm -hmm. um, that, yeah, like, we were so terrible that, like, or we were created to, we were, okay, we weren't created to be terrible, but because of the fall of man, we were terrible. The original sin, right. Yes. Um, And because of that, like, Jesus had to be born so Jesus could die for our sins and therefore we could be renewed in the perfection of Jesus and you had to be saved and Jesus would be in your heart and the way when you were saying it it was interesting because it kind of gave me like Passover vibes in a way like in Passover Mm -hmm. like the story is where the lamb's blood is sprinkled on the doorway in a way it's like when Jesus sees that like you're taught that oh if Jesus is in your heart God will recognize that and like Mm. you will be saved and like you're well that's definitely I feel
1: like definitely that's the language a lot of the time like Jesus is the Passover lamb is like yeah definitely yeah the sort of language that I was taught um Mm -hmm. and I guess you know within this um framework also the resurrection is proof that Jesus conquered hell and sin and it's a taste of like what our resurrected bodies will be like um and I would say that um the presence of women in the story was just something that I didn't really consider and wasn't really talked about Uh, and we're gonna get into that
0: if Um, anything like the role of the women in the story particularly and again we'll get into it but particularly like mary magdalene uh not recognizing jesus because oh she thought he was the gardener it was like silly mary magdalene like there she is being a woman but it's like no, the bigger part of the story is, like, that is the first person, like, depending right. on what and the gospel. the first person to proclaim that Jesus is risen. I have
1: seen the Lord. Yeah, like, like of I course,
0: see. depending on what gospel, because everyone is just a yes. tiny bit different, except I think Luke is the one that kind of goes. That's the one that's uh, the road to Emmaus, I believe.
1: Yes, yeah the, yeah, the road to Emmaus, yes. Yeah, but otherwise,
0: it's, like, the first people to discover Jesus has risen are the women of the bible sometimes it's just mary magdalene sometimes there are other women in the mix of that um but also there's the notion too that yeah. the women stuck around to help bury jesus whereas the other disciples right. they are at scattered. the
1: crucifixion they were yeah. weeping as he was dying yeah so yeah um i guess that you know that kind of covers a lot of what um we were, we were taught about the death of Jesus, but before we kind of go into even some of how that theology shifted for us, I also just want to talk about how, like, in a weird way, evangelicals are like kind of like obsessed with the death of Jesus, but also like they gloss over a lot of the pain and weight and like all the events leading up to Jesus's crucifixion just aren't really yeah. talked about as much. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like, it's like, he was, he was betrayed by one of his dear friends um, who, who handed him over to be arrested uh, yeah. by the, the chief priests and elders. And then mm-hmm. um, these these chief priests and elders brought him through um, a unfair trial process uh, where yeah. there were many false witnesses. And, um, you know, and there was, I mean, like when they brought him to Pontius Pilate, he, who was the governor in Judea at the time, uh, he was kind of like, I don't know. I actually kind of believe what this guy says, but this mob is saying that like, we want to crucify him. So he just kind of, you know, he just gives into that, I guess. And, um, and then of course, he's like beaten and mocked in various different ways. I mean, the Bible is like very, very graphic in terms of describing what's going on.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think like, for me, as I got older, and maybe this was the case with you, like, as I got older, the story got more graphic, mm-hmm. like in learning about it. Like we, I remember at eight or nine, and this is still pretty young, but we learned what the, Whip was like that Jesus got whipped with, where it was like, right, there were actually like little whips on the whip itself, and some had glass on them and everything. Wow. And like, yeah, I think the story cool. got more brutal, so. yeah. And the story just got more brutal as I got older, but I think it never quite touched on the nuance of the fact that this was government and state sponsored religion mm-hmm. and like the religious powers that be, like, this was their doing. It was just kind of like, oh, Jesus well, had to do it this was, thing. Yeah.
1: Well, it was also, I mean, yeah, definitely the focus on like, oh, this was just God ordained, Jesus had to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, But then when you actually read the story, it's, yeah, a lot more emerges. And so, of course, I think part of how, like, it started to shift for me is because, you know, as you consider things, like, it just, it starts to emerge that, like, um, like the atonement theory doesn't make sense. I mean, I I, would, I was really scared to start questioning that because I thought that, like, mm-hmm none of my beliefs about Jesus were ever going to change even when like so many of my other beliefs were changing. Cause I was like, well, this is the thing that I like have to believe that I was taught was like the most important thing in Christianity. Um, but then I was like, well that, but it doesn't make sense. Like in light of the theology that I was actually taught, you know, like mm-hmm. the Trinity, the, if God is a loving self-giving being that is so complex that we need to talk about God in three persons to understand it. And if as feminist scholar Boyle Hook said, love and abuse cannot coexist, then God cannot punish God's self. God can't place um, wrath on God and be appeased by that wrath. You know, it just Mm -hmm. doesn't like, it doesn't make sense in light of what we think about the Trinity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think similarly, it's like, I feel like the big narrative, especially um, that is said uh, towards deconstructing Christians is like, well then like, especially when you say things like, I don't know if I believe in a hell or in the rapture or anything like that, like then the big, argument is well then why did Jesus die on the cross then and it was always right hard to like for me to answer that and I think it's still a little bit difficult for me to answer that but I think I'm learning more as I'm researching because again it's just like you were saying like why would God need to punish God's self
1: because of the creations that
0: God created?
1: Another cool thing from the Queer Theology podcast, if God is omnipotent, that means that God creates all the rules. So like, no substitution in tone, it means that God created a rule that God had to be satisfied by by child abuse, like that God's own son on the cross. Like, yeah. And that just doesn't seem like the God that we know the loving god that is actually like in our bible so
0: yeah absolutely um
1: you know there are these like calvinist theobros who argue that jesus is like eternally subordinate to god the father and like definitely going along with like penal substitutionary atonement. along with that and it's like that shit is heresy by its historical definition because it denies the nature (laughs) of the trinity as it has been understood in the church history and in the creeds um and yeah definitely like again glorifying like child abuse so Uh, yeah, that was definitely how it started for me. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. like after I decided I didn't believe that, it has been a long, long journey to figure out what I do believe about the cross. Um, well, how would you say it started to shift for you?
0: I think this is going to sound really silly, and this will probably come up in our June Tonys episode, but the 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 movie slash musical jesus christ superstar
1: right yeah
0: because like it made jesus into an actual person and it made like judas and all the disciples into actual people there isn't really divine Mm -hmm. presence there aren't any miracles happening because it kind of starts right before palm sunday and kind of goes through the holy week and into the last supper and everything but there isn't anything divine about it and some might argue that like oh well that takes away like the right so of it. many Evangelical like,
1: christians are angry that it doesn't like include the resurrection yeah
0: yeah and it's interesting for me it really humanized who jesus was um and jesus is praying to a god that's not really answering um and it was just like oh like i really i don't know what to do with this take but i really
1: right I in the like garden it. of Gethsemane.
0: So yeah, think like there's a prayer. yeah, yeah, that whole first of all, that song's amazing. Um, and also Ted Neely is the best of the Jesus screamers. I might include <laughs> slightly off topic. There is a video online where someone compiled all of the times that Jesus says why in that song it's all the different Jesuses and it's one of those things I share every single Easter because it's brilliant um but we'll include that in the show notes anyways um the lyrics of that song is so poignant because like that show was written by someone who is secular and it's coming from a very secular perspective but that's the thing that made me realize like the importance of like the crucifixion that it wasn't just like Jesus being like, "I'm all right with this. Like, this is what I have to do." It was like, "This is what I have to do, but I do not want to do this." Like,
1: yeah, I mean, and that, yeah, that's an interesting. Okay, interesting. The, the way you worded it, like, "This is something I have to do, but I don't want to do this." Because, like, one thing that I was wrestling with is I was reading through. You know, we uh we kind of read through all of the, um, basically the ends of each gospel. Um, mm-hmm. I started it. I think I marked it like. In the NRSV, the header would say the plot to kill Jesus is where we're starting and then to, to the end of the gospel. Uh, um, and, you know, something as I was reading, I was like, you know, it seems like he definitely like he knows what's going to happen. And he keeps talking about like the scriptures need to be fulfilled. And didn't you hear that? Like, the or don't you know that the son of God needs to be handed, uh, thrown into the hands of sinners and crucified? Um And then, you know, like, Jesus asks, like, may you, in the Garden of Gethsemane, may you take this cup from me, but not as I will, but as you will. Um, And so it just kind of makes me, um, like, he knows Judas will betray him and that he's going to die. And I'm just wondering if how that kind of squares with my newfound belief in, like, open theism. You know, that, like, God knows all the possibilities of what will happen, but doesn't necessarily, it's not, like, predetermined what will happen. There's, like, human will. And so it's, like... Maybe it's, like, yes, God knew all possibilities, but, like, is there? Is this just one of such cosmic importance that there was only one path in terms of... Which is, like, a whole thing. It's, like, did Jesus... Was it divinely necessary for Jesus to die? Which I kind of actually... By the end of all my research, I kind of think no. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, this could also be a situation where, like, the gospel writers are taking, like, some artistic license and, like, retroactively considering... Jesus in light of what happened and Jesus relationship to God, the father as being. So I say God, the father, because that's, you know, in the gospels, how Jesus refers to God. Um, yeah. As being so deeply trusting that they interpreted Jesus to have like known or to have trusted that God would be present regardless of what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I know that's, that whole thing is of course so weird because God is Jesus and it is like complicated. But
0: <laughs> Yeah. And it's also funny because, I mean, I don't know if it's funny necessarily, but like there's in, a lot of the crucifixion passages, um, Jesus screams, my God, why have you forsaken me?
1: Mm-hmm. And that's
0: like a big declaration. And that is an anger and a rage and a sadness and betrayal right. that like you, like I feel like,
1: they. I mean, I feel like evangelicals gloss over the emotions of Jesus because it just, I mean, it, it turns the cross and everything that happened into a transaction. That, yeah. Like, you know, it just doesn't consider anything except for the the triumph of the resurrection which of course is a good hope but like you need to also square that with like jesus's pain and
0: suffering. yeah yeah it's also part of me like jokes that like in evangelicalism it's like my god why have you forsaken me it would the response would be well have you prayed about it like (laughs) just that that notion that like the suffering is very very real whereas i think a lot of times in evangelicalism as we'll be talking about in a future episode, is so glossed over by like, just pray about it. Or like, Mm -hmm. God is always there. And it's like, that doesn't, that doesn't um, negate how a person is feeling about the Mm -hmm. absence of God in their lives. And like, even Jesus felt it. Mm
1: -hmm. Like
0: God's supposed son felt it while dying. I think people neglect to remember that people say like, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, but they forget the man part.
1: Human. I mean, yeah, Jesus was yeah, yeah.
0: Human. Exactly. Human.
1: There are, I mean, and there are so many different ways of actually thinking about um, the atonement as well that like, I mean, we're, it's one of those things. It's, I mean, it's very similar to like the uh, theology about the end times. We, we have been taught that this is a very important thing and like that, mm-hmm. that, I mean, I feel like we've even been taught this slide that, like, this is a historic Christian belief. And then you, like, actually look into it and be like, this was, like, created not a long time ago. And isn't the Mm -hmm. historical Christian belief, actually? Um, Like, for example, Penal Substitutionary Atonement Theory. Again, that awesome theology podcast learned this. Um, was created <laughs> by Luther and Calvin, and the earlier Christians like did not believe this, which means that's like thousands of people across 1,500 years that weren't accepting Jesus into their heart as Lord and Savior to because of the atoning sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. You know, like that's yeah. Um, and Christ, um, something called Christus Victor has been the theory that most Christians have believed historically, and that's the idea that on the cross Jesus or well, you know, the whole process of the cross and resurrection, Jesus um, conquered evil and death. Um, Yeah. And, you know, that it wasn't, like, that there was no, nothing needed to be paid, nothing needed, there was no wrath. There was only the power of Jesus' love and life that was able to conquer death and evil.
0: Yeah, and that's always been glossed over. I mean, like, and not, I mean, like, it's been glossed over, and it's like, yeah, Jesus conquered the grave but it's because he resurrected, but he also did it for your sins. Like, it's very much like Uh a, weirdly enough, the thing that I believe is much more radical of Jesus conquering death and that darkness that comes with it is seen as kind of a blip on the radar when it comes to substitutionary atonement.
1: I I mean, I think that like all the atonement theories are not exactly complete. They're all like reaching towards language and metaphors that get at like what happened because I think that whatever happened on the cross was so like, I mean, it's kind of, like, this very mysterious thing that I don't think we'll completely understand. Um, like, there is this, uh, another uh, atonement theory is um, called moral influence theory, is that we are sanctified hmm. by Jesus' example, helping us to live moral lives, which, like, yes, I agree, and I also think there's, like, more to it than that. Like, I think that and Christus' mixture together work pretty well. Yeah, um, yeah but then, you know, it's, it's which is why it's so stupid that, like, evangelicals take what is actually like i think a metaphor like we see the we see where it's coming from in scripture i mean especially like in the works of paul talking about like literally yeah. using words like sacrifice or heard what jesus did
0: um, yeah but like jesus never actually says that yeah himself it's you're absolutely right all of the notions of that substitutionary atonement really does come from paul's letters um in an effort to convince other Christians of the sacrifice of Jesus or people that he was trying to convert in a way Mm -hmm. of like, this is what Jesus did for you and keeping that story. I mean,
1: I feel like like definitely that is fitting within like his own, his own culture and also the cultures that he Mm -hmm. is um, evangelizing to, you know, he had to, he had to make a way to make the gospel culturally relevant. And so that's the way that he did it. And I think of course, um, uh, Rachel Held Evans, this is a good segue because I I I this is actually mm-hmm. isn't in my notes, this is an extra thing, but then I'm gonna also talk about again her again when from something in my notes. But um in I think it's inspired in um gospel stories, uh she she talks about how like the good news is kind of in a way like different to different people based off of their circumstance and their culture and everything. Um you know, like all the people that Jesus encountered had a different way of like saying what the good news was, you know, the ways that the people were healed and everything. Um, And also, Rachel Held Evans expressed her doubt about the crucifixion and resurrection and asking, what if we made all this up because we're afraid of death? And man, do I feel that sometimes? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I feel like, especially in the past few years, I've had like this fear of death that's just like, Gotten worse. Just like sometimes randomly imagining like my family dying and like and just fearing like getting old now that I'm in my like mid are getting getting into like my mid 20s. So, <sighs> um, yeah, I sometimes just think about that. I'm like, what if like what if I die and no- nothing happens? Which also, by the way, we're not really talking about hell and heaven a lot in this episode because our next episode is about heaven and hell. It's talking yes. about the parable podcast. So, if you if you are watching this episode after. April 26th, and you can watch, listen to both together to get the full vision we have about, Mm -hmm. like, salvation and final destiny of humans, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, ooh, that Rachel Held Heavens quote just, like, hit me in the, hit me in the heart just a little, Mm because I, personally, for myself, I'm not afraid of death, um, but, like, I'm afraid of witnessing my family and friends Mm -hmm. suffer, um, and that's my, big thing instead so of here like oh what if it was just used it's like no um because I don't even think it's necessarily too I, I guess I don't know what to think honestly because I guess mm-hmm. the conquering of death and the conquering of hell and darkness or shoal I should say um sounds great and everything but I think the story has been so muddled that it's like, that's no one really thinks about that bit. And it's much more like, this is why Jesus had to die. So we wouldn't die and we could live forever. And, but only if you were a Christian and that's the only way how, and then it becomes like the big selling point is being able to live forever. And frankly speaking, living forever is not my best selling point. Um, because I don't know if I'd want that, but at the same time, it's, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that honestly. I think I'm just rambling a little
1: bit. Well, you know, despite the fact that she definitely was very frank about her doubt, she also mm-hmm. another famous quote is like from her is that uh Jesus is the story that she's willing to risk being wrong about. And I agree, you know, yeah. like the story that like I the place in Jesus' story where I have the most doubt is like the death and resurrection, and yet is also the place where I am most captivated. Yes, <laughs> like, absolutely. <laughs> Um, because I think there are so many interesting things that like, we don't really, you know, that we don't really talk about, but there's actually like, I mean, as I've been doing more research, I'm like, oh, I could do this, like look into this shit all day. This is why I'm going to study theology. Like, um, you know, we need to reckon with the fact that Jesus was executed by the Roman state. He faced an unfair trial. Um, the, the people who were, who were riled up by the religious establishment called for his, crucifixion, it was probably the crowd crying for his crucifixion was probably a mix of both Roman citizens and Jews. Uh mm-hmm. this quote that was really, I think, poignant to me really stood out is that the crowd when says to Pilate, if you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. You know, I mean there's this whole mm-hmm. dynamic of like empire going on that like isn't discussed in evangelicalism. And Yeah.
0: And granted, I I mean I I think I've mentioned this book a couple of times on the podcast, which is Reza Aslan's book, um, Zealot. And again, a lot of it is speculative, just kind of using context clues of the history at the time. But one thing that he suggests is because these letters of the gospel were going around, they perhaps when they're like, Oh yeah. And like the Jews in the crowd were yelling, like what if that was written to maybe take suspicion away from like the Jewish people of like, oh, are they loyal to Jesus and everything like that? And it's just like, again, I don't know what I think about that, but it's just another theory that is yeah. out there because I know that a lot of times and it's really, really, really stupid and very unfortunate but that that anti-Semitic notion of like the Jews right. killed good, Jesus good, is okay. such a- I
1: should, that's a good way to say this right now. So Good Friday yes, has historically yes. been known to be like a compl- very- anti-semitic day like there would Mm um i don't i need to look into the history more but i mean there were like like beatings of jewish people on good friday they'd like come out of the good friday service and do that so um yeah because there's this whole like myth that like the jews killed jesus even though the person who hands over jesus to be crucified is this roman governor yeah um And, like, it's, I mean, it's Roman centurions who are actually carrying out the work of literally, like, putting the nails in Jesus' body.
0: Yeah. And it's a really... um, This is the one thing I will never understand. Slight tangent. I will never understand anti-Semitic Christians. I'll never understand it. Because Because Jesus... our Savior was was Jewish. Jewish. He was not Christian. (laughs) He was Jewish. The people that happened to follow him afterwards called themselves Christians, but all its disciples were Jewish. Like, every single per hero of the Bible, and some of the anti-heroes, too, are Jewish. Like, it's, I'll never, I'll never understand it. And so when people use that narrative of, like, the Jews killed Jesus, like, meh, that's why they're and I also, or whatever. I it's definitely, like, nobody, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. And also the idea that Jews continue to, like, deny Jesus as Messiah. I like that some, I've heard some progressive Christians sort of talk about this view that, like, the jewish people have their own covenant with god you know that they yeah, I like that. not feel like yeah we don't need to like try to force them to become christians because yeah. like they they are they have their own way of relating to god i mean and that same probably goes for like you know a lot of other world religions but particularly i don't know i like that christian perspective of looking at it that way
0: yeah me too yeah. i like that and but then yeah and then of course you have people that are messianic jews mm-hmm. which is basically like a christian which a whole lot
1: of the time they're not actually even of jewish descent no so. it's basically
0: christians who wanted seder like and who want all the jewish yeah, holidays too. um
1: next week i mean well if you're if you're uh if you're oh yeah i guess actually the day this comes out is when Passover begins so i just want to say unless you were invited to a jewish person seder Don't host a Seder. No,
0: no, 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 no. I can't, like, the only, the the way I'm going to celebrate Passover as a white Christian is by watching The Prince of Egypt, which is one of the best animated films of all time. And that is how I'm going to observe Passover. I am not going to throw a Seder. I am not going to do any of that because I'm not Jewish. Like, it's, it's just another example of- If you're invited to a
1: Seder by a Jewish friend, cool. But otherwise,
0: no. Yeah, otherwise it's just another example of appropriation which Christians unfortunately seem to be very good at.
1: Um, oh, another thing to talk about in regards to analyzing like Jesus's, the the whole thing leading up to Jesus's death through like the lens of anti-empire, you know, Jesus's like charge on the cross of what he was accused of is that he is the king of the Jews, mm-hmm. um, which is to say that he was a criminal because he was a threat to the empire because he was claiming mm-hmm. to be, A king. And it's so, okay, something like so interesting about that is like, you know, he's always asked so many questions about this. Are you the Messiah? Are you the king of the Jews? The answer is most of the time, you have said so. That's, I mean, that's the English. I'm really curious. I would be really curious to do like a whole word study like
0: that. But yeah, he never actually answers the question, if anything. And this seems to be the case with a lot of the questions pushed towards Jesus. He answers questions with questions Mm
1: -hmm.
0: or says, that's what you say. I am like, or those were your. I mean, maybe
1: the way that it's kind of like you're placing this expectation on me, and I'm, I'm subverting those expectations. You know, like it's kind of the feel that I get from that answer. He's like, "Well, you guys are saying that. Am I? Do you? Do you believe? Do you believe that a poor, poor Jewish man from Nazareth can be, the, the, the savior, the Messiah? Um. Yeah, it's interesting. Um. Yeah he was just he was beaten and mocked through the whole way through his arrest trial torture and crucifixion and like somehow evangelicals look that and think about just the glory and triumph of the cross afterwards and i think why i actually really love good friday services is because they like let us sit in the tension of the moment like yes there's easter sunday which also includes room for doubt and fear because the women and thomas had mixed emotions and doubts and all that Mm -hmm. um other disciples too but we don't want to skip from palm sunday to easter
0: Exactly, um, that was one thing I really liked about the Good Friday service as well. And this was at my old mega church. Um, again, y'all know my issues with them and with mega churches in general. But I remember one year, the Good Friday service they did was they had six of the different pastors on stage and they said their interpretation of the six phrases that Jesus says before he mm, inevitably dies, um, or the six things he says on the cross, like "I am thirsty," like "Where's my mother." it oh. is finished, like, and each person kind of gave their interpretation of it, which was, like, really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. And then we sang the song In Christ Alone, but ended the song at, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. And the song ended, and he's like, "Oh,
1: we'll whoa. finish
0: the song on Sunday. And it's just <laughs> like, oh, shoot. And then, of course, um, as expected on Sunday, up from the grave he rose again. And, like, they finished the song but mm-hmm. that was always like really poignant to me was just
1: wow that's and cool even... that you had at your mega church good friday service because like yeah I just, like Lent and holy week are not existent in like the church that i grew up in so
0: yeah and it, yeah and like that because i had always kind of grown up being like good friday was just a real downer but it was a downer because it was leading to the glory of the resurrection and of the cross and all this sort of thing um so that was like really being at that particular church for a couple of years for the good Friday services, that was like, where it was like, Ooh, this is really like this, like it was really the gravity of that day. And it was always like on the screens they'd have like enter quietly and exit quietly, like almost Mm -hmm. like you were going into a funeral setting, Mm
1: -hmm. which Mm -hmm. was
0: really cool. And I really liked that. Mm -hmm. And of course Easter was like a big old party afterwards, but otherwise I really enjoyed those services.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what I like about, the whole more embodied practices related to like lent and holy week is because it's like it helps us like remember and kind of live the story i mean because you know jesus when he was talking about to his disciples about what his death and resurrection meant it was in the context of a meal um, mm-hmm. known as the last supper um, in Luke, it says he broke bread and said, this is my body, which is given for you do this. And to quote Barbara Brown Taylor, not believe this, but do this for the remembrance of me. Mm-hmm. And he said, this cup that's poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Um, I mean, you know, Jesus was like giving us something for us to act out and live and not just like be a belief that we assent to, I guess, you know? Yeah
0: um yeah that's a very interesting like I I never even like put the two and two together of like do this in remembrance of me it's not believe that believe this later and tell this to everyone later that like this thing's gonna happen but it's like do this in remembrance like when you eat and you drink you will remember mm-hmm. who I am and you'll remember this last meal we shared as friends mm-hmm. Which again just adds to the humanity of who Jesus really mm-hmm. is.
1: Yeah. Um, do we want to talk a little bit more about the presence of women? I mean, kind of. We kind of talked about that. What's interesting is that I think, mm-hmm. I think in, in this, I think in all synoptic gospels, uh, which are um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, that is they're synoptic because they follow pretty much the same structure of events with like some differences you know i mean pretty important differences um but um i believe in each one there is a story of a woman who anoints jesus body with the jar of ointment um it's uh i think it's only in one gospel that she's named as mary magdalene that's doing Mm -hmm. that um and this is kind of a foreshadowing of his death and burial um and then there are the women who stayed with him at the cross um the women uh who first saw him you know proclaiming i have seen the lord i think that it obviously it matters and especially because like these accounts were written and copied by many men and we're not going to get into authorship right now because we'll do that when we do individual in on each individual gospel but yes um you know and at the time like a woman's testimony would not be accepted in court so like during the time that these Gospels were written, it would have been a count against them to claim that it was a woman who first saw the resurrected Christ. And yet they still chose to put that in there. Each like mm-hmm. each and every person who was involved in the original writing and the rewriting of, and copying of these texts decided to keep it and have that be the story. Like yeah. I feel like it would have been so easy to say that Peter was the first to see Jesus. That would make a lot of sense. But it's that's not the story that we have.
0: And yeah, so and it's, it's like... like yeah, and it, like the only thing that really changes is again, like the naming of the women, sometimes it's only Mary Magdalene, sometimes there are the other women who helped mm-hmm. bury Jesus there as well, who are going to like, refresh the tomb in a way, um, who stumbled upon the tomb being open. And then like, I think in every story as well, with the exception of the road to Emmaus, it's the women go and tell the disciples and they've been the disciples the male disciples they've been hiding out this whole time like they Mm -hmm. were scared they were terrified yeah they're like we're gonna die next like yeah like as any reasonable person would be like but they're like they've been hiding out and then the women are the ones who are like we just saw jesus like what reason would they have to lie about that like mm -hmm. that and then they're just like no we don't believe you like the, you're lying like because again they wouldn't take a woman's testimony and then of course jesus shows up and they're like well you're back um and it's like if you just listen to the women the first time because right no one in their right mind would lie about <laughs> jesus coming back to life then all of this could have been avoided
1: yeah yeah honestly it's like if someone were to ask me why i think the bible is true i'm like God knows how many men decided to say to write in here that it was a woman who saw the resurrected Jesus, you know, like they Mm -hmm. all, they all could agree on that. So, um,
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: Um, so another aspect of something to talk about in terms of like digging deeper into, um, the cross and particularly considering it in light of like our modern context, um, There is um, The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone. Uh, James Mm -hmm. Cone is known as the father of Black liberation theology. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't actually been able to read the book, but I listened to a podcast, um, Freedom Loves Company, where he's on it talking about the book. Um, He passed away in 2018, unfortunately, but there are still many lectures and uh, podcasts and such. Um, He talks about how lynching and crucifixion serve very similar purposes in their respective cultures. They were a way of striking fear and keeping order. Um, lynching was an event in the white community. Like they took photos with the victims. It's just really like the way that he describes it mm-hmm. is just very disgusting and just like, yeah. um, you know. I mean, you can imagine. I mean, you know, there were people they didn't have photos back then, or but they, you know, they were there. It, it particularly in Matthew, like just taunting him on the on the cross as he was on the cross, and
0: yeah, and even before that as well, like making the crown of thorns and yes
1: yes and putting on yeah putting on the robe and then like or like you know slapping him saying prophesy who hit you like all these things you know it's just like the um it's like the
0: humiliation actually
1: yeah something that i want to actually i want to also quote from dear church by land young and so i'm gonna, gonna go get that jesus was lynched by police and every good friday we recount that story and it touches us somewhere deep inside the fact that we can't see the parallels with the extrajudicial murders of Black people today is a sign that something is wrong with us. You know, like, I just, it, yeah. Um, And it's interesting to think about how even, like, progressive theologians at the time, like, uh, at, the, at the time of lynching, uh, when when lynching was at its height, um, like Reinhold Niebuhr didn't really speak out against lynching because it was so widely accepted. Like anyone who even slightly spoke against it would be cast out. Um, people could, uh, to quote James Cohn, have the eyes to see Black suffering, but not the heart to feel it as their own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's so interesting how like we who who claim this religion and the the cross is one of our greatest symbols, like don't i mean i feel like yeah a lot of white christians don't necessarily see the similarities between that and the violence faced by you know not just um not just black people today but also like the uh the bombs that america the american government drops on civil regular human beings in various yeah. countries and, and even just uh, like
0: i even think of like the death penalty and like right execution which and incarceration incarceration, which again is really unfortunately like in terms of ratio
1: i mean when you think about it like yeah jesus when i think about like in the gospels of him having an unfair trial it makes me think about incarceration Mm -hmm. you know like jesus i mean and at the time i they also had prisons you know paul was imprisoned a lot of the time during his ministry and so yeah, it just makes me think about how, like, the the same evil that killed Jesus, we have to see how it is going on in in our in our own world yeah, today.
0: It still exists; it's just evolved. It's just different methods of torture and killing of innocent innocent people. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we have to um, we have to see the. Sorry, let me find it in my notes Um, we have to see the crucified we have to see the crucified bodies in our midst and stand in solidarity with them which include the incarcerated and those who die by police violence or other violence and Mm -hmm. we need to advocate for restorative justice in place of retributive justice for the abolition of prisons and police in favor of healthier more liberating models of community safety and actually Mm -hmm. on the day that this episode is posted I'm going to probably be posting resources related to prison and police abolition on my Instagram, and I'll, like, tag Reclaiming the Garden, so you can also share that to our story. Oh, store. that would
0: be awesome. Yeah, I might, I'll add that to our link, the link in our bio as well, just ways to help incarcerate populations. Also, if you have not seen the movie 13, which is on Netflix, it's a documentary, mm-hmm. um, please watch it. It is about, basically, the incarceration of Black people and the history mm-hmm. of that, and I but think one also, statistic given... No, oh, I was going to say one statistic given is, and I could be misremembering, but I just remember it was a really shocking number of 20% of all incarcerated binge- individuals, like all over the world are in the United States.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Like, I that's mean, ridiculous. Jake Cohn talked about that too. Cohn talked about how he was like, more we imprison more people than Iran, more than more than any, you know, just any country in like the world. Yeah. And it's just like, that is so crazy to think about because I mean, like, and for it's this, but I mean,
0: like, dumber I'm... reasons too. Like, I mean, <laughs> yes. depending on like the our gov- like the government stuff too, because like apparently we also have more people in prison than in China, which is one a substantially bigger population, and two throws people in prison for political thought crime. Like, fortunately, like, I mean. I guess like the U S has done this as well. I realized I was coming out from a very white perspective, but Mm -hmm. it's like, wait a second. No, 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 no. People have been thrown in prison for political thought crime in the United States, but like even places where censorship is so high and you can Mm -hmm. be thrown in jail for literally anything, Russia, us, (laughs) there are more people incarcerated in the United States. Like, Mm -hmm. and again, for very, very trivial reasons.
1: And I mean, effectively, it's also a new form of slavery. This is something mm-hmm. that I I haven't read. it. This is on my book list. I have so many books to read. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow. Uh,
0: I want she, to read that. I have not yeah. read that yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, just one of the things that Cohen was saying is that how, like, he talks about how this whole, uh, our whole prison system has been set up as a way to just, like, replace slavery. You know, mm-hmm. like... It, Because I mean, it means that people lose their often lose the right to vote and often means that they also can uh, work for literal pennies a day. Like, Mm -hmm. And if you
0: have a felony, your job prospects go down substantially once you're released, because every job application I've ever filled out asks if you have a felony. Mm -hmm. And another video I will recommend, there's a YouTuber that I watch called Knowing Better, and he posts videos like, once a month every month and a half just because they're very well researched and the most recent one that was released was called neo like neo-slavery the history that you never learned about and basically he poses the question of when was the last slave freed and starts from the very beginnings of chattel slavery to now talking about like no like slavery still exists in this period and this and then just like the names just changed but slavery has existed for this amount of time it goes into the different acts against black people, keeping them from voting mm-hmm. and owning homes. And it's just right. Yeah. And even going into the like school of prison pipeline and like, it goes into all of that. So I will definitely also send that video so we can have it in the show notes as well.
1: And so what's interesting in thinking about all this is that, you know, although like James Cone identifies the cross as being this, this act of violence and, something that you know was very much the way of the empire um he he sees how so many black people find hope in the church and in jesus and even in the cross because jesus stands in solidarity with those who are suffering and jesus rose despite that suffering now i think that like that idea well i think it being good can also be used to like have this theology of redemptive suffering that like might not be great this idea that like suffering makes you more holy and i don't think that's the case mm-hmm. um and that's why it's important to hold alongside cohn's view the perspective of womanist theologian dolores williams author of sisters in the wilderness who believes that it is only in jesus's life in his teachings that there's hope and redemption and that in his death she only sees the image of human sin in its most desecrated form that it exemplified the powers that wanted to destroy the beautiful vision of community that jesus taught and practiced which for the reason the religious and political establishment chose to execute him um and she also talks about how, like, the, the theologies of the cross and redemptive suffering were used to justify the rape and surrogacy of Black women in mm-hmm. slavery. And so to see for her and her lived experience to see the cross as redemptive is is not okay. Um, and I and I honor that for her, you know, and her lived experience in that. Um, yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: And I think, you know, it isn't, And I, I mean, I think you can kind of hold along, like, These views alongside each other to see that there is a black man who finds that there is hope in the cross and a a black woman who, who sees it more as like the human sin that killed Jesus, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, It's interesting because we were kind of talking about that in church yesterday, which yesterday was Palm Sunday, um, because one of uh, like one thing that we'll do at my church is we'll do like question of the day so we'll start out with a question before the sermon that has to do with the sermon and then we'll end with a question and like we get into groups and sometimes we'll if people sh- people will share what they discussed and that was something that did come up was because i think the question was like where do you want to like regain like your power or like what have you done to like regain your power and stuff and it was um someone brought up in the similarities between the cross and the lynching tree or the cross Mm -hmm. and the noose. And so it's very interesting that it's being brought up today, just because someone spoke about pretty much the exact same thing that you were saying, how, Mm -hmm. while the cross is seen as redemptive, it was a symbol used to torture Mm -hmm. um, and specifically tortured revolutionaries. And Jesus, who was a Palestinian Jewish man, Mm -hmm. And the similarities between that and, like, the lynching tree. And I just thought, like, again, the parent, like, I think the more reading I've done and the more research I have done and wanting to learn more about marginalized communities I've done, like, I feel like that's brought me closer to a version of Jesus in Christianity that seems closer to what was being preached back in the day because it's like it yeah, kind of breaks to Jesus it down this
1: lived experience exactly of being in an occupied nation and-
0: exactly because that's kind yeah. of the thing about growing up like white in america is like you're kind of taught like these are things that happened a long time ago and that's why we can have this like luxurious life now and that completely negates pretty much everyone else that isn't a wasp um right. here being white anglo-saxon protestant out there it's like no, like the suffering that Jesus had to go through, people still go through that every day. And it's our job as Christ followers to limit that and to show that there is another way and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, um, another thing that I was reading again, a, a book that I haven't read, but ha- did get a recommendation from on Facebook, um, M. Sean Copeland's book, Knowing Christ Crucified. Mm. She discusses the importance of seeing the cross as a way to remind us of the ways we still crucify people. It's remind us of like the history um, of that as well and the solidarity of Jesus with those suffering. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like, I just think about, yeah, Jesus saying like, do this to remember. Like I think that memory is important because uh, in the, in the podcast episode as well with Cohn, he says that the past is not really past. And if we do not remember, we are condemned to repeat it.
0: Absolutely. And we still do similar things today but with the eucharist and communion and everything like we still do that and granted it means a lot of different things for a lot of different people but that is something that has carried on since the very beginning slash early teachings of christianity and the early teachings of jesus and it is to remember not only jesus but remember that suffering
1: mm-hmm.
0: and can also be used as a means to remember the suffering of those of people today
1: yeah, I think kind of holding, you know, these these theologies from black liberation theologians together, I kind of have come to, I guess, not quite a conclusion, but I don't know, this is where I'm at. The cross was like not divine necessity, in fact, was representative of the evil of empire. But like, that's also not the end of the story. We hold the grief and the pain of both Jesus and his disciples, but also say that Jesus did be death, that his life and love and goodness were stronger than the powers that plotted to kill him. Yeah, and I think that's really powerful. Um, I'm curious if, like, in any of your research that you were doing in preparation for this episode, is there anything that kind of, like, when you, as you were reading, you were like, oh, I've never, like, thought about it that way before, you know, because for me, it was definitely, like, the whole thing related to uh, the Black Liberation Theology.
0: Definitely similar, like, in terms of the Black Liberation Theology and just that reinforcement that the Jesus story would not exist, nor would it have the power that it has now without, without the marginalized, like mm-hmm. without the women who were there to witness the resurrection and like without, it's so interesting too, because I think people tend to forget there was Joseph of Arimathea who pays for mm-hmm. Jesus's burial cloths and spices and stuff. And he was kind of considered. Uh, he, rich, I think he,
1: and also rich on the, on a council. I don't know exactly, but he was, he was of the re- religious establishment.
0: Yeah. And he was yeah. someone who had to secretly believe in, secretly follow Jesus because he couldn't be forthcoming about it, but still paid for Jesus's Which burial. Which I'm sure at the yeah.
1: time was probably, I mean, yeah, I'm sure that not the the common people like, like Jesus probably couldn't afford a proper burial. Like I, I'd probably have to look into the history of this, but yeah, I'm assuming that that's probably the kind of burial that he had was not typical for a poor man
0: yeah absolutely it's just like the people that you wouldn't expect and when i say expect i mean that from our very american evangelical leanings the people like the christ story and especially the crucifixion and resurrection would not have happened without the marginalized Uh um there's just no way it would have ever seemed to exist because again the women were there they watched him get crucified they were crying at the cross Ma- like his mean, mother was them, there
1: yeah i mean some disciples were of better means than others but i mean yeah. a lot of them were poor fishermen so that's another thing too that like yeah
0: yeah absolutely it's yeah it's just incredible to think about and it kind of goes into jesus's whole like story anyways like the first person he reveals his divinity to is the unnamed woman at the well and like he, and again there's with the Women are such an important part of the Jesus says, story okay. in general. Yeah,
1: It says that wherever the good news is preached, the story of the woman anointing Jesus will be told. Mm-hmm. Like in remembrance of her.
0: Absolutely. And it is. I think it really is. Um, before
1: we kind of get into conclusions regarding like, what does the hope of the resurrection mean to us now? I did just want to bring in another thing that kind of made me think about Actually, it was only a few weeks ago, really, uh, in preparation for thinking about this episode. um, I was like, oh, penal substitutionary atonement theory does not jive with the Methodist concept of pervenient grace. Um, So in Methodism, there are like different words for grace. It's really cool. And um, but this grace is specifically one that goes before our own actions, before our decisions. So like God can be present in people's lives before they even know it or have like prayed the prayer to welcome Jesus. You know, Um, justifying grace happens when we turn to God and seek to atone for the wrong we've done. But even before that, like God is looking on us with grace and working in our lives, which means that God isn't separated from us like a chasm. And also, you know, there's the part in Romans where, you know, Paul says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, nothing in all creation, which, you know, sin is something in creation. So that Mm -hmm. means that sin cannot even separate us from God's love.
0: Yeah, or even when Jesus says to Peter, um, the whole like, the whole cloth thing when peter's on the way so he's walking somewhere um uh, the whole like don't call don't call unclean what i have made clean
1: mm.
0: and that kind of i think that also connects to like what man considers unclean jesus considers clean jesus considers good mm-hmm. and righteous and okay like all of these well, divisions okay. have oh been, yeah i
1: just okay i just thought about how like you know in yeah thinking about unclean and unclean like what's interesting is that they had laws around you know if you you touch someone who was considered ritually unclean then you were ritually unclean but what jesus did is that when he touched people they were made clean yeah you know and so like that's what applies to us in the same i mean yeah do you get what i'm saying like that yeah absolutely in the same way i guess and to I mean, I would argue, like, all of humanity in the same way.
0: Yeah. So. And also, to be fair, Jesus also did a lot of that on the Sabbath, and that was, like, the big controversy amongst the religious elite. It's like, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, and it's like, he literally just healed someone.
1: <laughs> um. So I'm wondering what you would say the both the cross and the hope of the resurrection, what does it mean to you now, and how does it affect how you live?
0: I honestly, like... I'm still kind of working it out for myself, to be honest, um, because I was so, because, yeah, because substitutionary atonement was so ingrained in my brain. And it was like, what do I do without this now? Cause mm-hmm. if, you're right. It does not make sense. Like God causing God's self to suffer. makes zero sense for the creations made that he also created. It was just like, it's a whole lot of stuff. Um, but I think it, Still, kind of goes that this perfect human, um, or perfect from what has been told to us in the Bible, who knows? But Jesus, who healed people and said that the only two rules are to love God and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, and to feed the hungry and clothe the poor, that person was righteous enough that they could conquer the grave, that they could conquer. Mm-hmm death and not just death but like a very humiliating and degrading death Mm -hmm. um and i just think that there's something really beautiful about that because it's like the message of jesus didn't have to die
1: and also a god that was a god that was so good that he forgave their jesus forgave the people who were nailing him to the cross yeah. I just you know I while think about
0: he Father, was on the cross
1: <laughs> yeah he said forgive them they know what not what they do and so I just think it's not just about like the love and life but also about the goodness of Jesus yeah. that like was part of his power like a, a goodness that was like yeah it was a power that was mm-hmm. everything that the empire and the things that killed him wasn't
0: you know yeah. and like that that couldn't even be killed even as jesus's human body was dying the goodness of jesus and the message of jesus Uh could not die and it survives not only due to the resurrection but due to the bravery of the people Uh that were able to witness his resurrection and then subsequently the people who kept jesus's teachings alive Uh
1: yeah for me um Obviously, the story is something that I've wrestled with a lot of, I mean, since like 2018, when I basically was like, oh, I don't believe this. So what do I do? What do do I believe about this? And every like, Mm -hmm. every time Good Friday comes around, I always like I'm kind of like looking online and seeing what the discourse is. Um, There's also, okay on Twitter, I know it's going to happen this week. There's going to be discourse related to like Christians who don't believe in a physical resurrection, which I if someone says they're a Christian, they're a Christian. I take their word for it. Like if yeah, they still believe in the physical resurrection, okay. For me though, it particularly, like I I do believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. And um, the glimpses we get of the resurrection of Jesus are really interesting. Like he's he's in the body he died in. It's mm-hmm. not a new body. He has scars. And what's um, really interesting, uh, trans-theologians like Austin Hartke I have considered like, um the the scars of Jesus being in solidarity with the scars of trans people who you know have scars from g- gender affirming surgeries.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely seen the specifically the pictures when Thomas is touching Jesus' scar on his mm-hmm. side, and that's seen as kind of a parallel to those who get top surgery. Yeah. Um, like well, and then what's parallel. important also is yeah. that
1: Jesus is always giving consent to show his scars, like, and he doesn't owe that to people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always you know, he has the agency. And, um, I also think the idea that God has wounds is so compelling, you know, that like God, yeah, that God faced this incredibly gruesome death. And, and so it's like the pain that we, yeah, the pain that we face feeling that God is in solidarity with us. And that I think is really powerful. Mm hmm. Um, you know, this God is not distant, but is well acquainted with our pain. Um, I also think it's fun that Jesus still eats food because uh, yeah. I'm like, I hope to eat food in heaven. I'm glad that even though we probably don't need it, our resurrected body is still it's processed food. <laughs> um, uh, oh, <laughs> this is kind of like another random thing, but. Mm-hmm. Um, uh i remember it was like always weirdly focused on in terms of like talking about Jesus' resurrected body in the church i grew up in they were like oh yeah he could like walk through walls and stuff (laughs) (laughs) he can because he he randomly appears in like several locked rooms when you read the gospels he (laughs) appears to his disciples who are in locked rooms because of course they're afraid they're going to get arrested that's why they're in yeah um and um Anyway, going back to more serious things, <laughs> I think that like Christ inaugurated a new kind of humanity when he rose from the dead. You know, I think that he beat death and our own evil, not through wrath, but through love, through restorative justice. Um, and yeah, his love and life proved to be stronger than the death of evil that killed him. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that Jesus calls us to suffer as he did, though we can find solidarity if we are with with Jesus if we are suffering and I think Jesus is calling us to a new way of living where our love can exist in the midst of our suffering as the more powerful force and I wanted to share some lyrics from a song that I'm gonna sing on Good Friday this week at the service that I'm that I helped create the liturgy for and everything um yeah yeah, the song by the Porter's Gate um sung by uh, Audrey Saad and Josh Mm -hmm. Garrels your kingdoms come and built upon wooden nails gripped with joyfulness So send me out within your ways, knowing that the task is finished. The dead will rise and give you praise. Wooden nails will not hold them down. These wooden tombs will break them soon and fashion them into flower beds. The curse is done. The battle won. Swords bent down into plowshares. Your scarborn hands will join with them, serving at the table you prepared. And I think that sums up (laughs) what I I think about the cross and resurrection. That's, Yeah. Amazing. Um, Yeah, and regardless, at the end of this episode where you're at, you know, I hope that um, on Sunday you can hold the, or on Good, throughout this week, uh, well, I guess at this point, if it's going to be uploaded on Good Friday throughout this weekend, um, you can hold the mystery of faith. And even if you have doubts in the the gaps between these words, that's okay. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again
0: amen to that
1: i guess going to of the week even though it's kind of weird okay we're recording this (laughs) a couple days after a couple days after like we filmed or filmed recorded um our what will be our second episode this month but so i feel like (laughs) i feel like i don't have too much new stuff to share besides the fact that i'm really excited to sing wooden nails on friday Mm -hmm. um i don't know anything new to share (laughs) i I don't know i guess
0: like i went to little tokyo yesterday which was very fun and I got some really good ramen and I walked around and it was just nice to wander for a few hours. Yep. That's my good <laughs> <laughs> news. I like my other good news I had already kind of shared, but yeah. Well, uh, Oh, and- another good news. I mean, this
1: is, this episode marks one year of the podcast. <gasps> yes. Live.
0: Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much to all of the humans who have tuned in to listen. Thank you all to the people who have Um, very graciously given interviews. Um, Thank you to our patrons. We love you three or four. Three. We love (laughs) you three (laughs) so much. Um, But yeah, we're just so grateful that you have stuck with us uh, for our first year of podcasting and here's to many, many more. Yeah.
1: Oh, and as we said, next episode, we'll be talking about heaven and hell hell with our friends at Ravel podcast. Yes. Uh, Josh uh steven and emily
0: yep and if you want to give them a listen before you listen to our episode again ravel podcast they are fantastic they are great friends of ours um give them a listen and then if you want you can come listen to our episode where we're just all talking it's a great time Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Reclaiming the Garden. You can follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Reclaiming the Garden or on Twitter at Podcast. Be sure to check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes and you can always check out our merch store to get t-shirts, mugs, and other fun merchandise. If you are able to, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as it does boost us in the algorithm. But we are grateful that you are here and listening, so if that's all you can do, We appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you soon.